0: hey you guys welcome to the main and magic podcast your stop for all things disney i'm your host dawn brown and this is episode 45 whether you're adventuring in the parks or at home via disney entertainment i'm here to bring you the guests and info that'll pixie dust your experience and we're picking up lots of new friends along the way You can catch the links to our audio recordings on our website at Mainandmagic.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Just search for the Main and Magic podcast. After the show, we invite you to join our community on Facebook to share your thoughts about each topic and to connect with other Disney fans. In this episode, Katie and I travel to Quadrant 17, Sector 005, Area 51, to a planet called Earth to do a deep dive into the Walt Disney Animation feature film Lilo & Stitch. We discuss the history of the film from the initial idea to the exact location at Walt Disney World where it was given the green light over, of all things, sushi. We dig into the unique art style that was used and who the background painters called in for help. Plus, we analyze our favorite characters and the role the theme of Ohana played in driving the story. So join us on the Red Car Trolley as we take a Hawaiian roller coaster ride to the crossroads of Maine and Magic. Welcome aboard, everybody. Come on in, climb up, grab a seat. We have a super fun ride today. In fact, it is a Hawaiian roller coaster ride, because today we are celebrating Lilo and Stitch's 20th anniversary, if you can even believe that. What? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So we are recording this on June 20th of 2022, Uh, So tomorrow is actually the anniversary of the world premiere of the film. Um, And then, of course, right around the corner from now, we have 626 Day. So lots of Lilo and Stitch celebration happening over here. So, yeah, today we're going to do a deep dive into the film uh, like we did for Moana back in, I think it was episode 36. So if you are super into films and like the the art and the character design and the you know personalities and themes and all that stuff go back and check that episode out um i don't know why we decided to do everything polynesian based where i literally can't pronounce like half the words (laughs) (laughs) uh as our first round of of movies but here we are so um Katie is joining me of course my fellow Lilo and Stitch fangirl
1: aloha (laughs) and you also forgot to mention that in between the anniversary and 626 is sandwich day
0: yes sandwich Thursday (laughs) it's a very important day of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be just diving deep into this movie. Uh before I start going into like the stats and all of that stuff, I feel like we might need to make a disclaimer. Katie, I just I just want to ask you personally I think I know where this movie is on your list, but where is it on your List is it top 10, top three, specifically Disney animation? No Pixar, no Marvel, none of that yep, stuff.
1: No Pixar, it's uh ranked number one.
0: Okay, <laughs> same here, there's, so
1: it doesn't matter if you give me a top three or top 10, it is number one.
0: Just so you guys know, our bias going in, <laughs> right? Uh, it is, I there's not a lot of things in the world where I can say like definitively this is my favorite thing, but this is definitively my favorite Disney feature animation period. 100%. Forever end of story, which is kind of interesting because I feel like a lot of people's favorite Disney film is something they saw like very much in their youth, you know, like when they were 10 or 12 or seven or whatever. And like I definitely had a... f I've I've had a few favorites over the years, but once this film came out, it it there's nothing <laughs> same. No, this is a yeah. movie
1: that I could watch over and over again. In fact, like James yeah. James goes on these like Disney movie kicks. So currently in the Fisher House we are on a Zootopia kick where I'm not joking when I tell you that Zootopia is played on repeat. As soon as it ends, it starts over again. But for a while, he was on a Lilo and Stitch Kick, and I was totally okay with it. Watched it every single day with him. It's a movie I could just constantly watch every day.
0: So now that you guys know our bias, (laughs) (laughs) we're going to get into this. So I'm going to start out with some stats like we did for the Moana uh, episode, just because I think that it sort of gives you an element of, you know, a snapshot in time kind of thing. So... Lilo and Stitch is Walt Disney Animation's 42nd feature-length film. It was directed and written by Chris Sanders and Dean Dublois from an original idea by Chris Sanders. The producer was Clark Spencer. And like I said earlier, the worldwide premiere was on June 21st of 2002 and of course, back then it would have been released to theater because streaming didn't exist yet. The production budget for the film was eighty million dollars. The box office, in total worldwide, was two hundred and seventy three point one million. It made about hundred and forty six million domestically and one hundred and twenty seven internationally, and. Something very cool and unique about this movie is that it was the second of three Disney animated feature films that were produced primarily at the Florida Animation Studio inside the then Disney MGM Studios, now Disney's Hollywood Studios. So that is the stats And this movie has a really unique history, too, because it was an original idea. It was not, you know, we had been coming off of the Disney Renaissance, where you have the Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Hercules, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. You know, these were kind of all based in like older fairy tales um, like Hans Christian Andersen and the Grimm's fairy tales and all that kind of stuff. So this was just an original idea that Chris Sanders happened to have randomly on his own one day (laughs) back in the, in the early eighties. So I think that's part of the reason maybe that this movie was, hit it the way that it hit was so special because it wasn't there was no preconceived notion like people know who Hercules is you know there was no it was all a mystery so you couldn't really know about it until you actually went and saw the movie but I kind of want to talk about the history about how it came about before we dive into like the characters and the themes and all that stuff because this thing went through some really weird, <laughs> it's it's almost, it's like lightning in a bottle. Like it almost is stunning that it even existed in the first place or that it could ever even come into existence. So, and I do want to mention that a lot of the information that I'm sharing as far as like the history goes is coming from a book called... Lilo and Stitch Collected Stories from the Film's Creators, which no longer in print, but you can find it places. (laughs) If you're, you know, an eBay fan, you can find some copies there. There's, like, used bookstores online that have copies. So if you're, like, a super fan, I highly recommend this book. Um, And then there's also a sort of a, like, the making of Lilo and Stitch documentary sort of thing like behind the scenes of the making of it that we came across on YouTube it does exist on one of the DVDs I looked to see if it was on mine only part of it is on mine and then there's like games and stuff on the DVD that I have but some of you guys if you have the older DVDs uh, you can take a look and see if yours has the special features like the making of
1: Can I say something really quick about the DVD? Just since you're on it, just kind of. So I'm actually kind of upset with Disney Plus a little bit. Talking about the DVD and the special things that are on it. and like Disney Plus has a lot of the um, deleted scenes, things like that, and the storyboards. But the one thing I loved that was on the DVD was three different lessons on how to learn how to hula.
0: Yes, mine has that. That's what I had on
1: mine. I was... It is not on Disney+. Plus. And I'm so mad. Like, I remember the first time that came out and I got addicted to this movie, standing up and trying to figure out how to actually do that. Like, I'm going to learn to hula. I'm going to go to Disney and go to the Polynesian and go on stage. Yeah. And
0: mine has a little thing. But it's not on Disney+. Plus. Mine has a little thing, too, that is, like, Lilo and Nani talking about, like, the different islands of Hawaii. Wait, mm-hmm. So there, there's... You know, in 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 typical movie studio fashion, there's multiple releases of this movie onto different DVDs. So, you know, when it first came out, there would have been just the regular DVD that had the movie and, and maybe like the trailer. And then there was the one that I have. And then there was like a big wave edition or something that had this two yes. hour, you know, behind the scenes look at the making of and like. All this extra stuff. So, you know, if you're,
1: yeah, if you have the DVD, check yeah. it out. It's it's. I I liked that stuff on the DVD. I actually, it's. We went through a bunch of our DVDs when we were bur- purging at our house, and that is one DVD that I will not throw no. out. Is Lewis- yeah. Little <laughs> <laughs> It's not even Blu-ray. It's a yeah. regular old-school DVD. I think mine DVD. is regular too. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, so I there. There is a copy of this on YouTube, so I'm going to embed it in the show notes on our website. It's really fun to watch. Like, it is those early 2000s hairstyles, guys. (laughs) Ooh, like the frosted tips on the guys and all that stuff. Mm, It is a time capsule.
1: (laughs) And sync vibes. Yes.
0: (laughs) So... Uh, you know, speaking of in sync, I mean, like the 18s did sing a song for this movie, which we'll get into later yes. on. <laughs> but so, the history of this movie Chris Sanders was the one that came up with the idea originally, and it wasn't even a fully fleshed out idea. He had drawn a picture of Stitch and he was sort of trying to work the story out in his mind. And there's some discrepancy about when he actually drew the first iteration of this creature. In 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 the book that I have, he says 1985. In the film, you'll hear you'll hear him say 1981, but you'll hear someone else say 1984 and someone else say 1985. So even Chris himself has both said 1985 and 1981. Either way, it was the early to mid 80s when he first drew this creature and it looked a lot different. (laughs) It actually looked a little bit terrifying. It was like this weird like cat possum zebra, zebra, iguana kind of thing. (laughs) Like tiger. I don't even know. It was very strange looking. Um, And it didn't have a name. There was no name yet. Uh, But this creature like his idea was that this creature lived in a Northern forest and the other animals were afraid of him. So he lived in complete solitude. So he had no family that he could remember and he could only make sounds that mimicked the weather. So he was like compiling this into a kid's book and then just ended up abandoning ship on it. Cause he realized that this creature was like way too fragile to explain in a children's book. And he needed, it needed a longer format and he just didn't have the time or the money to make it happen. So he kind of like threw it in a drawer and then a bajillion years later. (laughs) So in in 1997, Michael Eisner, like they're coming off of all of these epic films from the 90s. Like I said earlier, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, uh, The Lion King. They were working on Mulan. So there's just like all these big epic films and they were like making money. And But Michael Eisner was kind of feeling like we need to sit down and assess where we're at right now because the budgets are going up, up, up and the technology's going crazy. And do we always have to beat the box office on the last film because it just gets to be a little bit much? And they were kind of missing the sweet stories of the old days sort of thing. So he had this retreat at his family's farm in Vermont and there was like 20 people there and they sort of sat down and just thought like, is there a way we could go back to smaller budget films that tell sweet stories that are unique? And basically he, the, the phrase that they used was bigger in heart than in budget. So from there, they kind of dispersed and everybody kind of thought about it for a while. And then Thomas Schumacher, who was the president of Walt Disney feature animation at that time, he talks to Chris Sanders, who had been working on Mulan and some of these other films that were about to come out. And they talked about exactly what was talked about at the farm, like doing a small story. And Chris volunteered that he had an idea from many years ago, and he could get them an outline by the spring of 1998. But he didn't tell Tom Schumacher what the story was. He just said, I can have you an outline in a few months. Well, Schumacher didn't want to wait. (laughs) So, so he like showed up in Florida in December of 1997 and wanted to take Chris out to dinner to kimonos at the Swan Hotel. So they went out for sushi at kimonos. It's so funny too, because in the book, Chris says five minutes and 20 seconds into dinner. (laughs) Tom asked me to pitch my story and he was like, absolute panic like his brain just like emptied like he just like went blank and he was like I'm gonna lose my like in his mind he's like having this internal conversation in his mind about how like I don't even have an outline I basically don't even know anything about this character I'm gonna get fired I'm gonna be living under a bridge (laughs) And apparently Thomas Schumacher noticed the absolute panic in his eyes. And he was like, dude, it's okay. I know it's like a super at like a super rough draft level. Just like, tell me what you have. (laughs) So he in like a minute and a half blurted out that, you know, he had this character that lived in the woods and the other animals were afraid of him and he was totally alone. And Tom was like, okay, I like it, but I think it would work better if the character was marooned in the human world instead of a forest, since the animal world is already a bit alien to us. And Chris was like, that was like the suggestion that he needed in order to actually go develop the character because he had sort of worked himself into a corner by putting him in the woods with animals. And this way he, like just like the interactions and the ideas just started coming flowing to him. So, and, and it's funny because you'll, there's, this is kind of a thread in the making of this film is like, they'll go, 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 go. And then Tom Schumacher will come in and say like two sentences, like what if you tried this and it'll like open the floodgates again and they'll have like a million new ideas. So he, he kind of, like, came in when he needed to, gave him an idea, and then disappeared. <laughs> Which is probably what you want your boss to do if you're trying to do a creative project, right? Like, you just want to be able to go do it your way. But when you get stuck, you want somebody to come in and just kick the tire a little bit and, like, help you move it along. So, so yeah. So, he got unstuck, and he decided that he wanted to bring some other writers in. So he went and talked to Dean DeBlot, and they decided that they're going to do this movie. So Chris ended up going and actually making a book for the development department. He like locked himself in a hotel for a couple of days and he wrote out a quick story and he actually drew the characters, Lilo and Stitch and... Watercolored them so that when he gave the production department the story, they didn't have visions of like an alien from the alien movies. Because <laughs> he wanted them to know, know that, because people think alien and that's kind of what was happening at the time, right? I mean, we even had the ride at Walt Disney World, the extraterrestrial. Like, so people were. know scary aliens was the thing and this was kind of like the first science fiction animated movie so he wanted him to know like no this alien is going to be really cute and (laughs) child-sized so um and actually like that's why i love this book so much the collected stories is because a lot of the artwork that he had in that original book that he made for the development department is in this book so you can see the original illustrations that they came up with and they're pretty close to what ended up being in the movie. So, now that they kind of have like an outline of the story and everybody's super into it, they decide they're going to do the film in Florida, which at first Dean was not super excited about cuz he's like <laughs> It's in a studio in a theme park and I just don't know how I feel about that because he had already been working on Mulan and he was only supposed to be there for three months, but he ended up being there for a year. He's like, I can hear people screaming on the Tower of Terror while I'm trying to work. (laughs) (laughs) But they were like, they had a small budget and they really wanted to keep the story close to them. Like they didn't want to farm out the story writing to a bunch of story writers they wanted to write it themselves so this was like a much smaller studio full of like new artists that wanted to prove themselves and work on something special so it was kind of like and and also like people in california kind of ignored the florida studio so they weren't going to get checked up on all the time and have people you know a million people coming in and being like you need to change this 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 and this like they could just get forgotten about basically and then when they were done with the movie they could be like oh hey we made this movie <laughs> so um they ended up actually working out really well for them so in 1999 they went and took a trip to Kauai because they decided that the film was going to take place in hawaii they had to originally batter around some other ideas like rural kentucky or kansas but Chris Sanders, he had like a map of Hawaii on his wall. And he was like, what if we put it on an Island out in the Pacific ocean? So they went to Hawaii and they ended up in, I think it's called, I think it's pronounced Hanalee. It's either Hanalee or Hanalee and then Hanapepe. And those were the areas that became the inspiration for Lilo's town. And then from there, they jumped into production so that's kind of the build-up to actually making the movie from here we should talk about (laughs) the marketing of the movie so i'm assuming everybody out there has seen the movie if you're listening to this katie do you remember the commercials
1: i don't actually okay i remember stitch TPing the castle but i don't remember the commercials for it that was
0: yeah that was for the ride oh my gosh we can talk about yes. that <laughs> that was a whole thing too stitch.
1: yeah no i don't so they took
0: originally like you know there's like a marketing department of course so the movie's done or you know almost done and they cut a trailer it and they show chris and dean and they're like ew no i hate it because it made it look sort of silly and like immature and not no redeeming qualities basically and they hated it so they were like well stitch is a little bit of a nuisance and he just doesn't have any manners and also this is kind of the first science fiction film we're getting away from princesses and like gods and all that stuff you know kings and that so we need to do something to shake up the viewership so they know that this is not those movies and what they did was (laughs) they took films from the disney renaissance so beauty and the beast aladdin the little mermaid and the lion king and they made these trailers where they were showing scenes from those popular scenes from those movies. And then Stitch would come in and crash them.
1: I do remember that now. Yeah. I remember that.
0: <laughs> so they had That's right. the beauty and the beast scene where the beast and Belle are in the ballroom and they're dancing. And then all of a sudden Stitch is like crawling up the wall and he's on the ceiling and he, like jumps onto the chandelier and it falls to the ground and like breaks in a million pieces and Belle's like you know get your own movie she's like I'm going to my room get your own movie
1: (laughs) I remember yes I remember that very well now
0: and the Lion King like that scene where they where Rafiki holds up Simba to like show all the animals in the valley and he holds up Stitch and the animals all freak out (laughs) But my favorite one was the Aladdin one because they, they literally could never do this commercial now. There's no way. <laughs> but it's Aladdin and Jasmine on the carpet ride when they're singing, you know, Whole New World. And Stitch pulls up in his red sports car thing and he's like basically cat calling jasmine and she is like you know what and she like leaves aladdin on the magic carpet and goes in the car with stitch <laughs> so that that's how they marketed this movie and i remember seeing these because it were i was like what is this like say no more here's my wallet like I don't even have questions. I just want to I just want to see it now. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's a I think that has to be like the most that is the most unique marketing campaign I think I've ever seen for any movie ever because yeah. you never saw Lilo Or Nani or Cobra Bubbles. Like you never saw, you only saw Stitch and he was like intruding on these other films. And that was their way of saying, this is us
1: destructive properties.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. This is us going into a new era, a new decade and a new kind of story and film. So that was like one of my favorite things, but going into the art and the like cinematography of the movie, obviously this movie looks completely different from those other movies. And oh, yeah! I honestly, I feel like that is part of the reason that it feels like a warm hug. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I think you even said when we we're talking about the Moana movie that you liked the animation of the water and like all of the things that they can do like rendering with like cgi and like digital animation and all of that stuff but there's there is something that you i guess maybe when you're our age (laughs) you know maybe if you're 10 you don't feel like you've lost something when you add that technology but i feel like for me it it did lose a little bit something. Cause when you look at the animation of the water in Lilo and stitch, it's a lot simpler, but it's also no less dynamic or emotional. I'm not really sure what the word is that I'm looking yeah. for.
1: Yeah, no, I get that. I have, a, you know, what's funny is I, I actually rewatch when I, I was rewatching the movie again yesterday to make sure I was completely ready. And, uh, When they're surfing, and I was watching them like barrel roll and everything. And the first thing that came to mind was even like comparing it to Tarzan, right? So I can remember because Tarzan's up there for me too. Tarzan is one of my favorite movies. And I can remember watching something about how when Tarzan was going through the trees and like crisscrossing his legs and the way that that animation was, and how that was even. And and Tarzan's almost the same type of animation. It is the same type of animation as Lilo and Stitch. But I can remember, like, last night I was thinking, wow, like, it's so, even between Tarzan and Lilo and Stitch, the animation of them barrel rolling and how the water, it's just, it's just blue. Like, there's no dimension, I guess, to it almost. But I didn't lose anything of it.
0: No, you still get exactly what they're doing. Yeah. It's still moving. They're just they're using less colors. They're not doing right. a gradient. They're not you know, right. it's not luminous. Still- yeah. But it it's still you know, and 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 speaking of the the you know, the barrel roll like they were watching film of surfers to make sure that they made the movements correctly of both the surfer and the water. And that's something when I rewatched it, I was like, yeah, they really did make the water behave the way way that water should. Yes. The like shore break and those kinds of things. Cause like a lot of people that are around water or are around the ocean don't know how waves actually like the physics of an actual wave. It doesn't, most people think that they're, that it's just like a half dome and it's sort of like slowly like rippling towards the shore, but actually it's, it goes in a full circle and then it just refreshes itself and goes in another full circle. So there there's, and they actually did that in the film. Like you can see, you can see it like when Lilo's underwater and like the shore break and stuff. So even the
1: shadows now again, okay. Spoiler alert for anyone who is listening and has never seen Lilo and Stitch, which side note, shame on you, but when (laughs) they are surfing, and if you're listening and you've never seen Lilo and Stitch, stop right now, pause this podcast, go watch the movie and get back to me in 90 minutes. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But, um, like, even when they're surfing and... uh, I almost said Pumbaa when Jumba and Pleakley come up and you can see the shadow of them under the water. Like it wasn't that they just appeared. Like you can see the outline of them starting to come up from under the water. Like even that, like that they, you know, they did still take into effect that this is how water reacts. And some parts of the water are completely see-through. And when Stitch is looking down at Lilo and Nani, Um, swimming under the water and it's the clear part of the water like it's they did do a really good job with how water is supposed to act
0: yeah they still gave it they were still able to give it depth like depth and dimension yeah yeah how did you feel about the watercolor backgrounds because this is kind of like the big defining feature of this movie compared to basically every movie that Um, existed for the last 60 years before it.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, I, I liked it, but if I'm being honest, I mean, it didn't have any, I don't have a strong opinion one way or another. How about that?
0: Okay. See, I loved it. I, I loved how different it looked. It really like, I feel like it made the movie warmer and softer and just there's something about watercolor it's not
1: (laughs) oh yeah yeah yeah
0: but they hadn't they hadn't used watercolor since Dumbo on the backgrounds because they like there was new paint techniques that came along and they switched to using those other painting techniques with like acrylic paint and gouache paint and watercolor they said watercolor was like really challenging to work with because they you know they're animating characters on cells and then they're setting them onto these watercolor backgrounds and sometimes the cells would stick to the watercolor background and like obviously that's not good (laughs) because you don't want to wreck your cell and you don't want to wreck your background because now you have to paint a new background and you there's your once you paint a watercolor background you're never getting another one to look the same
1: (laughs) oh no no no, it's a one of a kind
0: there was a lot of apprehension about them using the watercolor backgrounds but you know again chris and dean were like and i forgot who it was it was like um one of the art directors He had painted the background in gouache. And he tried to do it in a way that it looked like it was painted with watercolor so that it still had that feeling. And Chris and Dean looked at it and they were like, this is not watercolor. And he was like, okay, fine. (laughs) And he went back and painted it in watercolor. And everybody looked at it, including Thomas Schumacher, who's the head of the an who's the head of animation. And he's like. We need to use the watercolor. <laughs> so they, you know, I mean, and that was like a huge, a huge risk for them to do. So they ended up, the animation research library loaned them backgrounds from older films that had used watercolor in the background. So they got backgrounds from Pinocchio, Dumbo, and a couple other films, which like, I'm trying to imagine, like, going in to the library, getting these backgrounds for movies that were made 60-plus years ago, putting mm. them in my car. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, there's not enough insurance. Like, I would be on the phone with Geico in the parking lot. Like, right. whatever my car is insured for, we need to, like you know times a thousand because I would be so terrified to like walk out of the building with these things but they they wanted to like can you imagine
1: getting stopped at security and getting into Hollywood studios with that yeah
0: (laughs) um you need to (laughs) let me in because I need to not be holding these anymore (laughs) right (laughs) but they wanted to like visually dissect them so that they could try to do the same thing basically with this movie. Like they thought if they looked at him for a while, they could figure out the best way to go about painting the backgrounds. And mm-hmm. they worked on it forever. Like they practiced, they did all this stuff and everybody was still like very apprehensive. And they ended up calling an old or an old animator from that had worked on the older films. So they, would ask him questions about like products to use and like techniques and stuff like that. So they called Maurice Noble. He was 91 years old at the time. And he had worked on backgrounds for Snow White, Bambi, Fantasia and Dumbo. And he came in for 2 hours and they asked him all these questions and they showed him 5 background paintings that they had done and he looked at them, and he was like if you can already paint like this you can do a whole movie using a watercolor background so if we could do it you can do it he was just like and 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 from there they were like okay like if this guy says that we did a good job then we're just gonna go so like even though he was only there for two hours and basically they didn't really get any new information about how they could do it better. They felt comfortable enough to just like forge ahead with it. So I thought that that was really cool. Cause like, can you imagine, like there's, there's nobody around. There's there's people that have been working at the company for 30 years, 40 years that they don't know how to use watercolors for backgrounds. So you have to go Mm -hmm. to, you have to find like, literally is there anyone still alive <laughs> that did this because we have no we just have no information to draw off of with the people that are here that are very seasoned pros so i thought that that was really cool but hey i the watercolors is one of my favorite things cuz i think it it makes le- it makes the characters stand out
1: it does make them stand out more yeah
0: um and it makes you pay attention in a different kind of way than I think because there is that separation, there's two different textures going on. It makes you like notice things differently. So I, that was one of my favorite things. Okay. Let's, let's get into like the story and some of the characters. Cause. Okay. So you said like straight up definitive favorite movie is one of, is any one of these characters like your favorite character?
1: I mean, the obvious, Lilo and Stitch. I mean, more so more so Lilo and Nani, too. I mean, I love the family dynamic. And, yes, like, Lilo went through this horrible tragedy, and her parents died. Again, spoiler alert. Um, at this point, you've watched the Yeah. So.
0: Um, <laughs> for 20 years, though.
1: <laughs> um, and, um, like, just the fact that Nani is doing everything she can to care for her sister, right? I mean, she is, she never drives. I mean, they have a punch bug in the the driveway. You never see her driving it. She's walking all over the island from looking for jobs and trying to take care of Nani or take care of Lilo. So just that whole Ohana and Ohana meaning family and making sure like the the whole family dynamic thing. I mean, I had, so years ago, years and years ago, I went for a job interview and I was not expecting this at all. And the guy who was interviewing me, we're having a conversation much like how we do on the podcast and not, a, you know, we're mid mid conversation. He looks at me and goes, Hey, what's your favorite movie? I'm like Lilo and stitch, like without dropping a beat. And he just looked at me like, "What? really? I said, yeah. He goes, can you tell me why? I said, because of family. I said, that movie is about family and that family never gets left behind and family comes first basically and that's why it's my favorite and i just you know i adapt that to everyday life no matter what my family comes first and they always will and they always have so come to find out the reason that the interviewer side note asked me the question was to see see if i can think on my feet which i obviously did but (laughs) (laughs) thank you um but yeah i think that you know just their family dynamic that's why they're probably my two favorite and then stitch i mean who can't love him he's got that bad quality to him but he wants to be good but he is bad deep down but he wants to be good deep down so those are my two favorite main characters i think if i had to pick a not main character like if we were looking at a like secondary character you're gonna laugh probably for this one my favorite is pleatly. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like, the mosquitoes are nestling my body. Like, yeah, that just the hilarious. Com- right? But, like, just his comments. Like, if you want, like, listen to actually some of the stuff that he says. It's so out there that you're like, okay, well, that's wrong. But his, like, take on life and the human race and how... Like, Earth is a sacred planet, and just human species and mosquitoes are endangered. Like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Ask me that again in a month, how endangered mosquitoes are. But, yeah, Bleakley's probably my favorite not main character, just because he's so... He's so dumb that it's funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he's <laughs> supposed to be the expert on Earth,
1: right? Exactly. Yes, he's the expert who has absolutely no knowledge whatsoever how anything here works.
0: And he, pulls except
1: that- the fact that you can't shoot a human with a laser or plasma gun. It's the only thing he got
0: right. <laughs> and he pulls out that viewfinder to be like, educate yourself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. So. Those are my top
0: three favorite so characters. We touched on a How big theme in the movie is Ohana, which they actually didn't, when they took their research trip in 1999, they were just like going to find like locations to base it off of. And it wasn't until they were there and like started talking to the voice actors, um, like Tia Carrere, She was a voice of Nani You guys might remember her from Wayne's world. And I think she was in like mission impossible too, but her and Jason Scott Lee, like they were talking about Ohana and like sort of filled out the blank spaces. I guess you could say about what they knew about the concept of Ohana and like immediately Chris and Dean were like, well, this has to be a central focus of the movie and it's going to be what ends up driving Stitch's character in particular like the his sort of character arc from being a demonic <laughs> looking koala dog right. to you know the the family sort of pet or i
1: i actually i actually have a quote from one of the things that i read during our research for this about ohana and how they how it was incorporated okay. Uh, from, Dubois, from Dubois. So um, he explained the idea of Hohana to them and how the concept was an important part of the island's lifestyle. It was always going to be about family and this destructive force coming into a frail, crumbling family and just accelerating its destruction, but then being affected by enough of the idea of a family that he could transform it in the end. But it wasn't until we went to Hawaii that we were exposed to the idea of Ohana. And that's something that the o- Hawaiian people carry around with them. It's alive and present. And it's this all embodying philosophy that if you live several islands away, you're as much as my brother and sister as my immediate brother and sister. And that's what uh, co-writer, co-director D- Dean uh, told Insider. So,
0: Yeah, and I... I mean, they do say the phrase a few times in the movie. Mm-hmm. So it really what kind of... What about Ohana? Yeah, it really hits. Home. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. As far as characters, I I used to have like a really difficult time separating Lilo from Stitch. So I could never say one was my f- favorite, but I after, like, really, like, thinking about it now over time, I guess, I feel like I love Stitch. He's awesome. But Lilo is my girl. <laughs> she right? is just, like, I I can imagine myself being similar to her as a five-year-old. Like, a little bit. I, oh, yeah. And I, like, she's so she's so quirky and she's a little bit dark mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. is also very cute and she's very passionate about things and you know, she's just, she's a little bit of an outsider, but she doesn't really apologize for the things that she loves. She just explains them to people, <laughs> you know? Right. And I just kind of love her. I think she's so cute. And one of the, cool things I found when I was reading the little girl that did her voice to Bay chase, they had like been auditioning little girls for like ever. And they like, just, they didn't know exactly what was off, but they, there, there just wasn't, they weren't finding what they wanted in the, in the voice of the people that were auditioning. And then she came in and they were like, she's a little bit, she acts a little bit, like Lilo in that she will get super worked up about something. So like she did the scene, um, she recorded the scene where she is explaining why she has to, why she's at Hula and she's all wet. Cause she just had to go feed, feed Pudge and you know, so she's kind of screaming and getting emotional and she's trying to explain it. And as she's trying to explain it, they're looking at her like they don't understand and she's getting frustrated. So she did that whole scene And then she sat back in her chair and Chris and Dean were like, Oh my God, that was so good. Like that was amazing. And she said, thanks. Like no emotion. Just like, so she just, you know, which I thought was kind of funny. So which, by the way, is my absolute favorite scene. Like,
1: <laughs> it is the one scene that I have and still can quote <laughs> word for word is that whole scene. <sighs>
0: yeah, in the, the yeah, anyway. the, that sigh at the end where she's just like, "I can't believe you don't know this," <laughs> which is so much like a a way the way that a five year old would be a five year old would do. The, yes. the producer the producer was like, you know when she came in an audition, we just all knew because she just had this thing about her. And the producer was like, you know, Chris and Dean kind of, they're a little bit strange and they're like strange together. And they like these things that are quirky and weird. And they're kind of into like things that are like macabre and death and all this kind of stuff. And I, When I was, like, hearing that, I'm thinking, well, that is so much Lilo. Like, they wrote Lilo that way because she, her explanation for Scrump's head being the size that it is, is that a bug crawled in its ear and laid eggs. Like, that is very dark and kind of, like, sinister for a five-year-old. And then... When Nani is explaining that she got fired because her boss tried to, you know, get her to join his Legion of the Undead, and Lilo's like, I knew it. Like, she's she just has (laughs) you know.
1: Or okay. Every time you say she has a dark personality, all I can think about is my friends need to be punished. Yes. When she's she's like, has she has like a, friends the a voodoo pickle book jar. <laughs> That's every For the past 10 minutes it has been killing me When you say she's dark not to say My friends need to be punished
0: Yes I can quote this movie All she my just guys has this, huh? You know like this, Which is Not totally like look I watched Dateline you watch dateline like <laughs> women have a little bit of a weird you know we we uh we like to watch things that are about death for some reason so maybe this is just like an early you know we're finally seeing an early version of ourselves in that but um i just i thought that was so funny yeah. how they were like we kept auditioning these little girls but they just didn't have that thing and it turns out that thing that they needed was like sort of a dark (laughs) like a little bit of an eeyore cloud or something over your head so I thought that was really funny but no I love Lilo and some of the things that stand out to me about her that I very much relate with are she loves Elvis and I think I've spoken before on this show how we (laughs) how my dad introduced me to Elvis movies when I was like a tween So we have that in common. She's a photographer, which I'm a photographer and I love her. You know, she has a very unique artistic style. (laughs) She likes to read. Like if you look when Stitch is like ripping all the books off the shelf, if you look at all the different books that he's ripping off the shelf that she has in her bed, in her bedroom, like these aren't just books in the house they are specifically in her bedroom, like farming and, Iowa or someplace and you know she's obviously got her voodoo book that she's using and she's got her little duckling uh, ugly duckling book like she she obviously has a wide array of tastes in books (laughs) so and she's obviously very passionate about dancing because she teaches stitch how to dance she gets upset when her teacher tells her to go home because she wants to dance and she even says i've been practicing. So i mean i'm not I a just dancer at dance. all but yeah <laughs> i love how she's like you know that's very much a part of her life and stitch is awesome and i love him for his own reasons but i think in the whole movie lilo is my favorite. I also love <laughs> jumba He is. Yes. I I love his like pseudo Russian evil scientist accent. And like, he is a mad scientist in the whole movie. So he has his like evil scientist laugh. And then even when they're on the island and they're like trying to catch Stitch, and he's looking through the binoculars, and it's after everybody was surfing but but stitch didn't go surfing because he was afraid and he's like taking the surfboard back to the water and he wants his turn to go surfing and jumbo's like he should be afraid of the water and he's willingly going back to it so he's even in that moment he is mad sciencing because he's like i mean that's what scientists do they observe right and they, they, this shouldn't be happening. What, you know, like they want to dissect, like what happened to bring them to that moment. And he's like, even in that moment, he's doing it. <laughs> and I just love that about him. So, yeah, I think he's like, he's a good sort of villain. He's not really a villain in the end, but right. he's very much right. a villain in yes. the beginning. <laughs> That's the thing about this movie is like, it isn't... St- only Stitch that gets redeemed like Jumba kind of gets redeemed too and they don't really talk about it or even necessarily reference it in the movie but when Stitch leaves Lilo with the book and he goes in the woods and he's like waiting Yes, (laughs) he's waiting for his family he's like crying that he's lost he's he's waiting for something to come around that looks like him and Jumba's like you don't have a family, I made you. Like technically, Jumba is his family. Right? And I think you kind of see that in the end of the in the end of the movie how they're a family unit even though he was Gosh you have an evil scientist that made this thing to be destructible.
1: <laughs> right. And can we, okay. So this is in my notes that I wanted to go over. Can we talk about that scene for a second? Yeah. Because I really did. So I really did start when i watching this movie, like really thinking about it. And like, I, there's still stuff that there's lots of stuff that we still have to talk about that are on my notes that I have like never really thought about with this movie. And doing this deep dive, I'm like, Oh my gosh. That movie, part of Lilo's quote, I hear you cry at night. Do you dream about them? I know that's why you wreck things. Our family's little now, and you could be part of it if you want. You could be the baby. We can take care of you. But if you want to leave, I'll remember you. Ohana means family, but if you want to leave, I'll remember you. She's basically, even though she's saying that to Stitch, if you really think about it, that's she's kind of talking saying this to herself i hear you cry at night do you dream about them? her parents died she does she cry at night is she saying this because that's why she bites myrtle evans and punches her in the face and pulled her hair because she dreams about her parents and like do you do you understand what i'm saying like even though Stitch is doing all these mean things, is Lilo doing these mean things because that's why she wrecks things? Because she misses her parents and she doesn't have even though she has a small family, she doesn't have her original family. Yeah. So she's you know what I mean? Like she's saying this to Stitch, so
0: <clears throat> She's casting right. an assumption that he's doing it because of he's in the same situation, which
1: Exact same situation. Yes.
0: And and that's the only way a five year old can process. Right. You know. And that she does, she's
1: doing the same exact things and she's doing the same exact things for the same exact reasons. Yeah. Because she does miss her family.
0: It's more of a confession. It's a confession. But she's also, thank you. she's, She's also fishing for answers because she doesn't, she still thinks he's a dog. Right, She doesn't really know that he... He's an alien. Yeah, like, she doesn't know he's, like, you know, a sentient. Like, he has feelings the way that she does and she doesn't really know what his history is or where he came from. She just knows that she went and got him from the shelter and... Made two dollars for him. Yes.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't help myself.
0: (laughs) But she... (laughs) Yes, it's a confession, but she's also fishing and he's, he doesn't even, he doesn't have the tools to deal with that because he doesn't even have that. He doesn't even right. have anybody to remember. So he just is like, right? you know, he sees that duck and he's like, maybe I'm lost. And if I go out here and wait, someone will find me. But, you know, obviously the right. only one that finds him is Jumba, which technically is his dad (laughs) right (laughs) yeah yeah
1: and it's like stuff like that i mean you you know even the whole just lilo finding a friend in stitch and picking stitch that you know she had nobody and here's this dog with air quotes that she ends up finding for this I, i don't know they're like the same person, but they're not. They have different situations, but they're the same person. Yeah. In a way.
0: She's teaching him th- their behavior is similar, but then they they yes. quickly depart from each other because she he has no memory and she does. Right. S- and he's he is mimicking like he's right. learning from her about their world and about their, you know, living situation.
1: Yes. And I also think like, well, just one more thing on that. The fact that the ugly duckling is the book that they picked for this story, like that, that's the book that is prevalent in the movie, right? That it's the perfect book for it. Like the perfect childhood story, the perfect five-year-old story that, The ugly duckling is stitch. The ugly duckling is Lilo that they're different. It's perfect. Like it was absolutely perfect. Yeah. Um, But also, so the other thing in the, that I feel in the movie was that there's in certain parts, there's a lot of foreshadowing and the main foreshadow is when they're sitting at the hula and Nani's working. Was it? No, I'm sorry. It's when they're in the, in the dog kennel. And Lilo says, yes, he's good. I can tell. And we all know that Stitch is bad at this point. But the fact that Lilo is foreshadowing the fact that Stitch is actually good, there's foreshadowing. We know that he's good.
0: Yes, you just have to find the road to get there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I guess that's the other like big theme that they share is they're both outsiders because she's an outsider in her. I mean, they're not really her friends. They're mean to her, (laughs) you know, and, and even Nani's like, they just don't know what to say, but it's, you know, I mean, kids can be mean to each other. So she feels like an outsider. Stitch is an outsider. He was, he's the only one of himself he's created. He doesn't know anybody or anything. He, you know, he, he's an experiment. So he, he doesn't really fit in anywhere, you know, you even see him like, uh-huh. it's funny because you know with the original story that the creator was thinking of like him being sort of marooned in the woods and the animals won't talk to him it's like he has interactions with animals in this movie like when he first lands he almost shoots the frog and (laughs) (laughs) what's funny is he the frog like bounces out of the street And Stitch gets run over and then later in the movie the frog basically rescues Stitch because Stitch was Mm -hmm. knocked out and the frog like did his little ribbit thing and Stitch woke up and then he like grabbed the frog and like ran off the road so he you know and then he saw the duck when he was on the stairs and So he's he's having like animal interactions. the the, the dog, (laughs) the the dog that he sees when he's looking at postcards with Lilo. (laughs) You know, (laughs) he
1: shoves the snow cone on his head.
0: (laughs) And and obviously, the dogs in the kennel they're all terrified of him. So they they sort of still used that experience from that original like thought process that Chris Sanders had about him not being able to relate to the animals. So I thought that was interesting and kind of cool mm-hmm. that they were whether they did that intentionally or it just worked out that way. I can, I don't know, but I did notice it. So I thought that was really funny. But
1: all of our dogs are adoptable except that one.
0: <laughs> what is
1: that thing? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs>
0: It, it also deals with grief in a way that I don't think... Yes. I guess you could say a little bit a Hunchback of Notre Dame deals with grief, but it's like a different kind of grief. As for as many dead parents as we have in all these Disney movies, I feel like this is the first time where it's like... that's a wrap on this episode thanks so much for riding the red line with us thanks to my guest katie fisher from pictures and postcards travel if you are heading to the disney parks or looking at booking a disney cruise or adventures by disney experience katie can help you get the best prices and discounts along with custom planning and itineraries all at no cost to you you can find her online at picturesandpostcardstravel.com or email her directly at kfisher.com. At nyaaa.com. Now that you've had a listen, we invite you to join our Maine and Magic Friends community on Facebook to share your thoughts about the episode. You're welcome to pop in to share an idea, story, or photo and connect with other Disney fans. You can also ask questions, get and give advice, post updates from the parks, and just have fun. Head to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash and Magic to join. If you've got a comment or question, you can email me at mainandmagic at gmail.com or use the contact form on our website. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to share it out on social media and pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. Thanks so much for listening. And of course, in the Disney tradition around here, we don't like to say goodbye. So we say see you real soon.